Welcome to Crump Insights, exploring timely life insurance and retirement planning topics for today's forward-thinking financial professionals. Continuing our conversation on the impact of COVID-19 on underwriting. I'm Brian Bushlack, your host for this series and an active life insurance producer. Joining us, Chris Cook, Senior Vice President and Head of Underwriting at Crump. Chris Reggioni, AVP and Chief Underwriter at Salmon's Financial Group Companies. Joel Larson, VP of Life Underwriting at Prudential. And Mark Crow, AVP and Assistant Chief Underwriter at Pacific Life Insurance Company Broad Markets. Chris Cook, I want to bring you back in because this is a sensitive topic and question. I want to uh, give our carrier partners a break on this one because it will vary carrier by carrier and individual by individual. But the vaccine, this is a political topic. Uh, It's a touchy, emotional topic. There are uh, many of our clients out there who will not take the vaccine. They refuse this. From a producer advisor perspective in communicating with these clients, what do you tell them? Hey, are you going to rate me because I didn't take the vaccine? Am I not going to get life insurance because I refused the vaccine? Where are we at as an industry on that question? Great question, Brian. As it relates to the vaccine, as we've seen, it's certainly a personal choice uh, and it can be a a polarizing choice. But as it relates specific to the industry, again, business as usual, the industry, speaking in general terms, the industry is not taking an adverse action whether or not you have or have not had the vaccine. So these are the types of scenarios where it's important for the producer to reach out to, to his or her a Crump sales associate or a Crump underwriting team member to, to really help navigate the waters for the best opportunity, whether or not there has been a, a vaccine taken by the client. Okay, great advice. Chris Reggioni, I want to bring you in uh, to talk about business valuations. Again, I know this will vary depending on the business, and uh, it's been a crazy year. Some businesses have thrived during the pandemic, others not so much, particularly in restaurant industry, hospitality, and those that support those industries. Any change or any any updates in terms of business valuations uh, moving forward? How we should all be looking at the business valuations is pretty much is a holistic approach. We should be looking at what has the business done prior years? We understand that businesses will have ups and downs. What does it look like going forward? I mean, uh, most of us on this call, if not any, uh, if not all of us on this call, remembers the Great Recession, right? And going through 2008, 2009, and businesses suffering. And that was the approach that was taken back then it should be the approach now is if you holistically look at the trending of the business and you know you get the right financial documentation balance sheets income statements etc abide by your company's philosophy and underwriting guidelines but uh you know also remember that 2020 was for a lot of businesses really got hit across the face but uh, a lot of businesses are coming back and uh that life insurance so um you know you can never go wrong with holistically underwriting when it comes to uh th- these business evaluation cases mark do you have anything to add to that so as chris mentioned obviously whenever we're looking at business valuations you always look over the last couple of years right so to chris's point you want to look historically how the businesses have done What type of industry are they in? If they did have a down year in 2020, do you anticipate bouncing back? 
or for business that did really well in 2020 because maybe they provided some service during the pandemic, such as they made masks and had a great, you know, had a great year. You think that's sustainable over the future? So it's always obviously on a case-by-case basis and and taking everything into account when you're uh, trying to evaluate those businesses. How about you, Joel? Yeah, I would simply echo what both Chris and Mark said. You have to take the historical viewpoint and not just take your current viewpoint of the case. So one thing we certainly would look for from an underwriting perspective is if the business appears to be on the brink of failure. In that certain situation, then we'd obviously have to take a more conservative view. One thing we've been speaking on some great topics, but one thing I don't want to lose sight of the fact is I can't believe it's been been over a year now from March 2020 to today. The one thing I don't want to lose sight of the fact is the consumer has a heightened interest in financial services products, specifically life insurance. And the key thing is, you know, we as an industry, we're open for business. And, you know, I, I think from my perspective, I've seen significant activity of curiosity as well as engagement from the producer as well as the end client in terms of what the options are and where do we go and what do we do. And I've been so impressed with our industry in terms of rising to meet the challenge as it relates to quelling any false rumors. You know, as these things start, there can be misinformation, disinformation, what's true, what's not true. And I've just been so impressed with our industry and how we've risen to meet the challenge of the need of the consumer and the producer. Any thoughts, anyone want to jump in on thoughts as it relates to you know what you're seeing either locally within your companies or your perspectives on the industry, how we've risen to the occasion? Yeah, I'd like to just jump in, Chris and, and Joel and Mark is um one of the things I, th- I think we would, we'd all agree with, what COVID did for the life insurance industry is accelerate. And what I mean by, right, accelerate, uh, uh, you know, accelerated underwriting, however, accelerated all the data. I mean, it really pushed us along um, faster than perhaps some companies may or may not be ready for, but we were, it, it was the force of the hand. And we learned that. And unfortunately, it did take a global pandemic. And I think we could all agree on that, right? We like to work a little bit slower because it's mortality. We don't want to make split decisions. We don't want to have to just make split, you know, okay, we're going to look at this data and, and see. But it, what, what, you got to keep business moving, to your point, Chris. And you had to be, uh, companies had to think creatively. And we had to look, you know, innovation. And it really, really made us go there faster than anything I I, I think I've ever seen, at least in my career. And it was a positive in that aspect, because now it's going to be amazing where we move forward, even five years from now with all the data and different types of systems. You're seeing these face amounts. You're seeing the ages expand through accelerated but, you know, I, I do want to emphasize, we will all, in my opinion, there will always be a need for that underwriter on those complex cases because everything that's not going through accelerated is complex. Yeah, it forced our hand to do a lot of the things we started to do, but we were kind of taking our time about it, right? And it forced our hand to, to get more creative and, and do things in a more accelerated type manner. And 
once we got to that point where we gained some comfort level, you know, now the industry doubling down, right? We're not going backwards. So it gave us that sort of tweak to get us moving. And now there, we've seen some success in that space, not without pain by any means. I think we can all agree with that, but it's given us sort of the ability and almost the permission to say, yeah, let's go for this as an industry. And I think we're doing that. Some things somewhat are more successful than others, but we're trying new things we hadn't tried before. And along with that, Chris, and you can speak to this, is we're, we've kind of drug along our distribution partners with us, which isn't always easy and it sometimes can be a painful process. So yeah, I think overall, it's been a good experience, despite some of the pain, uh, growing pains to get there. I couldn't agree more. And it's definitely, you know, you know, we haven't been drug along. I think it's, it's to your point, into your verbiage, it's been a partnership with the industry, you know, with the three of you and your companies, uh, you know, especially. Uh, we've, we've really appreciated, again, to the point of the conversation, necessity is the mother of, of invention. And the pandemic really forced the hand of the industry to to get the programs that we had been talking about, to get the systems upgraded that we had been talking about in place. And again, it, it amazes me when you consider the vastness of our industry, how nimble of the change process, you know, generally it was and uh, without major hiccup. And one of the things that I've also been pleased with is our reinsurers and the partnership in this whole pandemic process, culture change that uh, has, uh, you know, they, they've been a part of as well. It's been really hand in hand in hand, uh, you know, distribution, direct writer, reinsurance, you know, walking down the same path to, uh, to, to get the producer and the end consumer, the proposed insured, you know, what they need. And, you know, to the point of the conversation as well with, with accelerated underwriting, the more information, the, the more applications that we put through the process, the better it gets. And it's, again, win, win, win for everybody. Yeah, you know, it's definitely to Chris and Joel's point. It definitely moved us along with a lot of what we were already working on. And a lot of great alternative data sources that are out there from EHRs to services that aggregate lab tests. And right there with, the, you know, our reinsurers have been right there with us, you know, supporting us in, in using some of these alternative requirements. There are definitely growing pains. We've all, I think, as an industry, learned a lot over the last year. And I think as we continue to move forward and as some of those different data sources continue to mature and bring more data into their databases, I think we're going to continue to see underwriting evolve and continue to use alternative sources in lieu of a traditional APS paramed blood urine over the next few years. To that point, maybe closing with this topic, a lot of the more recent conversation has been around dynamic underwriting and really tailoring the underwriting approach to the individual because of these new data sources that have been you know, well established now and are, are providing fantastic protective value. So I, I, you know, I, I'm seeing our industry continuing to evolve with a high level of speed over the course of the next two, three, four years in terms of getting to that dynamic approach. And, and Chris Reggioni, to your point, there's always going to be the need for you know, what we consider that traditional underwriting, correct? The, when, when, when you're going through the, the high net worth cases, the multi-impaired scenarios, but there's still going to be a dynamic approach to how we're looking at things to maybe take different paths outside of that traditional approach. So in closing, any final thoughts from the three of you as it relates to the dynamic approach from an underwriting perspective? Chris, we'll start with you. Thank you. I do think 
there is the future, if you will. We'll go there. What I'm cautious on with that, and it makes sense, don't get me wrong. What, what, What will be interesting is how's the pricing work with that? That takes, Chris, a very skilled, knowledgeable, what made you just want to get in and medical report or a blood or just a urine on this client compared to this client. And we need to be careful a little bit how we do that, right? Because one client say, why are you may possibly discriminating against me compared to another client? Because, right, we have all these risk grids and everybody has to get these same requirements, regardless. If you're male, female, whatever you uh, put yourself to be. So um, I think it is and it makes sense. I think the experience for the client will be better depending on you know what they need or don't need. But it'll just be interesting how this all evolves. Joel. That's a very good point, Chris. Some of the same things I think about when we're trying to develop this process is, you know, we're trying to almost use a triage process, right, where we get some sort of instantly available information. And from that information, then we put it on to the next step, whether it's, hey, I can approve this with what I have. Or is there something here where I may may need to revert to some more traditional medical records? What I think we need to care for in this process is we need to, to your point about treating people the same, right? Is we have to somehow make this a consistent, repeatable process. So you take two different cases with very similar characteristics that we're sort of able to underwrite those the same way each and every time. And I think that's what we're trying to work towards because ultimately in risk selection, you want to be consistent. And I think some of these new processes may lead to passive inconsistency. So we have to be able to figure that out. And again, that's part of our ongoing learning process here. All of these are backed up by some sort of mathematical model or underwriting engine or whatever. So that process is very repeatable because it's all programmed in. But then once you get above that, you know, how do we train our underwriters to sort of look at this different data and then make consistent decisions going forward? And I think that whole training piece is a big part of this, right? And uh, I don't think we all have it figured out yet, but I think over the next few years, we'll be figuring out how to train those underwriters to really be able to not only understand what's under that model and then make decisions off that, but how to, how to interpret the different sorts of data that they're getting And again, to make that consistent, repeatable process, because not only from our standpoint, from a mortality perspective, how we want things to be consistent, but I think from our distribution partners as well, they want to be able to understand, okay, what can I expect from this decision? And is it similar based on different risk characteristics each time? So that's the goal. That's huge. And with that training, I mean, you avoid the pitfalls of things like proxy bias, right? So that's huge. Mark, closing thoughts for you. Yeah, to your question, it's definitely a, a paradigm shift and, and going in a different direction than underwriting has historically been, uh, to Chris's point with the, the old fashioned age and amount requirement grid <laughs> that we've all grown up in this industry looking at. Uh, you know, and when we get to that point when we do have more of a dynamic or prescriptive underwriting where we are tailoring our requirements based on each individual, you know, how do you maintain that consistency? How do you make the process friction list for the distribution partners so they kind of know what to expect. And from an underwriting perspective, you know, how do you train your underwriters to live in that dynamic world and only underwrite to what they really need based on the risk? So I think that's definitely going to be something as an industry 
that we're going to have to address and develop over the next few years. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank all of you for taking time out to join us. It's not very often that we get uh, three of the top underwriters, along with Chris Cook, together at the same time to talk about this. So a huge benefit uh, for producers, advisors out there to be able to uh, download this from you. So we appreciate your time and your insight and hope you have a great year. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you very Thanks. much. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Crump Life Insurance Services, a leading third-party distributor and service provider of insurance and retirement products, is part of Truist Insurance Holdings Incorporated, the seventh largest insurance broker in the world. Crump supports the distribution of life insurance, annuities, long-term care, linked benefits, disability, and health products with the industry's premier sales and back office support and technology services. Marketing under the following brands, Crump, Truist Life Insurance Services, Risk Rider, TELUS, and Time. Source, Business Insurance Magazine, using 2019 brokerage revenue generated, 2020 issue. For financial professional use only, not intended for use in solicitation of sales to the public. Not intended to recommend the use of any product or strategy for any particular client or class of clients. For use with non-registered products only, Crump operates under the license of Crump Life Insurance Services Incorporated, Arkansas license number 100103477. Products and programs offered through Crump are not approved for use in all states. Copyright 2021, Crump Life Insurance Services Incorporated.